This Eucharistic retreat, given by Father Zachary Salt on the Knights of the Holy Eucharist, October 17th to 20th, 2019, at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. These and other recordings are available on our website, goodcounselretreat.com. We commence our first conference on Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, in a time when the Eucharistic reign of Jesus is being prepared by Our Lady and her children. The whole world, even the church, even marriages and families, even ourselves, are greatly challenged Today, there's a crisis. The crisis is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and no one's speaking about it. The crisis is that Jesus Christ has revealed the true God, the most holy trinity, and even shared the interior life of the trinity at the Last Supper and in other teachings that he makes visible, and very few are speaking about it. The crisis is that our Lord is here present in the Most Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, really, truly, and substantially present, and few are believing in it. The crisis is that we have the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and people think that it's just an institution of men as opposed to having divine origins. The crisis is that we have a mother who keeps appearing to us from Guadalupe to Lourdes to Fatima, And people are more interested in the passing things of this world. So what are we going to do about it? We're here at this conference to renew our resolve to live the Eucharistic life. And the surest way to do that is to live as guided and instructed by our Blessed Mother, St. John Bosco had a vision, many visions, but one of them most of you are familiar with. There was this great ship, the bark of Peter, the Catholic Church, under attack, under siege, being shot at with all kinds of lies and deceits, other weapons of the enemy. And this ship was being guided by the Holy Father. And then behind that Holy Father was another Holy Father, because we know that the Holy Father is the successor of St. Peter. And remember, without Peter, there is no church. Please remember that. The church, though, came into safe harbor when it came between two pillars, and was chained to those pillars. The taller pillar was the Most Holy Eucharist, and the other pillar, a little bit lower, because our Blessed Mother always humbles herself, realizing her own humility, was the Blessed Virgin Mary, help of Christians. Coming between these two pillars, the church is safe. When I speak of the church, I speak of us. We're the church. Okay? Some people today will talk about the church, the church, the church, and the problems in the church. And yes, there's problems. There's always been problems in the church. But the church is established by Jesus Christ, and we know we have the victory. But we need to resist the temptation from talking about 
the church as if it's some institution out there. We are the church. We are the church. And Mary is the mother of the church. And Mary's the mother of the Eucharist, as we talked about yesterday evening. There's a simple syllogism. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Jesus is the Eucharist. Therefore, ergo, (laughs) Mary is the mother of the Eucharist. And the great saint, John Paul II, before he was called to his eternal reward, in his wisdom, after a long and wonderful pontificate, gave us two special years before he was called home. I don't know if you recall what those years were. I think you do. The year of the rosary and the year of the Eucharist. In Rosarium Virginis Mariae, which was on the rosary, where we were also given the five luminous mysteries. We were taught to contemplate Christ through the eyes and heart of Mary. Contemplate Christ through the eyes and heart of Mary. Contemplate Christ through the eyes and heart of Mary. And so we had a whole year to really start to practice that the year of the rosary was October 2002 to October 2003. Here we are in October. No coincidences, only God incidences. The month of the rosary. And then, from October 2004 to 2005, we had the year of the Eucharist, where... On the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th, 2004, just before that year commenced, the Holy Father gave a document entitled Mane Nobiscum Domine. Interesting, from the Acts of the Apostles, written by St. Luke, whose feast day is today. Again, no accidents, all providence. Mane Nobiscum Domine means stay with us, Lord. As I said, we were given the mysteries of light, but the exhortation to contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary in the year of the rosary, but in the year of the Eucharist, that continues. And in the mysteries of light, the luminous mysteries, the fifth luminous mystery is the institution of the Most Holy Eucharist. Wow. And it's going to give us the strength to go right into the sorrowful mysteries that lead to the glorious mysteries. And it's my hope to show you a way to contemplate the face of Christ in the most holy Eucharist in each of these mysteries. Now, that's my hope. Pray for me. Because I want to give you something you can take with you. I've given enough conferences by the grace of God. I... I was born for this all around the world, but actually I'm tired of speaking. St. Padre Pio's words, I just want to be a poor friar who prays, (laughs) deepens in my heart every day. But then I was reading St. Gregory the Great this morning on the Office of Readings for St. Luke and basically said that these laborers in the vineyard that we're going to hear about, you know, we need laborers in the vineyard, which basically means... We need holy laborers in the vineyard. And the laborers must speak, exhort. So here I am, and here you are. Thank you for your love of the Eucharist and your love of Our Lady. They're connected. Part of the mystery of light 
even connects to the glorious mystery, but you have to go through the sorrowful mysteries to get there. But again, keep everything in the Eucharistic context. Wasn't it a great light for the disciples on the road to Emmaus who were still caught up in sorrow after the Lord had been crucified and they're walking along the road and Jesus joins them and starts to converse with them and starts to draw them into a greater light. They're sort of still in darkness. They're in a crisis. And the Lord starts to ask them, so what are you speaking about? So forth, so on. And then he opens up all of scriptures to them. But they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. That was the light. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread in the Eucharist. Now, when Jesus opened up all those scriptures... Their hearts were on fire. Well, Our Lady's heart is on fire with the love of the Holy Spirit. She always was contemplating the word of God. In fact, St. Augustine said that our Blessed Mother conceived in her heart by faith, by the word of God, by faith in the word of God, before she conceived in her womb, and I'll, I'll get to that once we enter into the Annunciation, which will be the, the primary focus of this morning's conference, because it's going to lay the foundation for the whole time we're together. We started this conference with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Actually, we led into the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass with the Most Holy Rosary yesterday. And I exhorted you to let your heart be a cenacle, an upper room, where Eucharistic love can be made present. To let Our Lady teach you how to let that Eucharistic love be present so that you can go expand and embrace with that Eucharistic love everybody in the world who are caught up in the crisis. And so we commence on the mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary that will help us embrace the Most Holy Eucharist. We can only hope to have Our Lady's love for the Eucharist, and that's enough for us. Love will teach you more than any words I will say. But words do help because we're to love but we can't love unless we know. We're created to know, love, and serve God and be happy with him forever. So let our Blessed Mother obtain the Holy Spirit for you so that you can be guided towards this most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, understanding that Mary has a profound relationship with the most holy Eucharist. Because... The Eucharist that the apostles received on Holy Thursday at the Last Supper and that we're privileged to receive at every Holy Sacrifice of the Mass if we're in a state of grace is the same Jesus Mary received when the angel Gabriel appeared to her at the Annunciation. Now, Jesus came to Mary in a different mode than the Most Holy Eucharist at the Annunciation. We have to make that theologically clear. As a priest, I need to have theological clarity 
although this is not a theological course, (laughs) but precision is very important. What I want to show you by analogy is how the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, and the Annunciation are related. Are you ready? Now, first you must understand that when we talk about the Annunciation, like the announcement of the good news, Annunciation to announce, where the angel Gabriel was sent as a messenger of the Most Holy Trinity to announce the plan of God, God loves to share his work with his holy angels and his saints, and you're called to be saints. God loves to share. He could do it all himself, but he loves to share. Imagine the joy of Gabriel, St. Gabriel, being the one called before the Trinity and and informed of this message. And he's going to go to this little virgin in Nazareth, humble, to announce the good news. The good news of the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word of God, who will assume our human nature, the word will become flesh and dwell among us, if the Blessed Virgin Mary gives her yes. God gave us free will. God wants us to cooperate. With the mystery of the Annunciation is the incarnation. Never forget that. God's initiative for God's plan of love with a second person of the Trinity will assume our human nature and dwell among us, right? And we have signs of this, you know, throughout this whole conference, this time together. You know, right here on this ambo, we have the word. These words, the word right here on the altar. The word became flesh. and where the tabernacle is and dwelt among us. So the Annunciation and the Incarnation are connected. But so is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the Most Holy Eucharist. The angel Gabriel comes to the virgin betrothed to Joseph in Nazareth. What was Mary doing when the angel Gabriel came to her? Some holy people said, praying, yes, thank God, praying. What was she praying for? Have you ever reflected on that? She knew the Holy Scripture. She knew the time was near for the promised one who had been prophesied to come. And and remember, the promised one was to be a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah. You can go to the suffering servant's oracles in the prophet Isaiah in chapters 40 and 50, particularly 52 and 53. The world was dark. The world needed Jesus. The world was in crisis. What was Mary praying for? The light. God to come to us. The time of fulfillment was at hand. Here's this humble little handmaid, 14 and a half or 15 years old, in deep prayer. That's how we should prepare for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the reception of the Most Holy Eucharist. Let's not get caught up 
and other people maybe coming into the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and I'll say that over and over again, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It's a holy sacrifice. Yes, it's, pre- it's the presence of the Lord and a banquet. And we should prepare well, like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let's not get caught up in those who come in five minutes late or whatever. Yes, we, we hope they do better, but we can only work on ourselves. In fact, before I go forward, let me share this with you. There's a metaphysical axiom. Grace is received based upon the disposition of the receiver. Okay, that's a big, long statement. You receive grace to the degree that you're disposed to receive the grace. The way I can help share this with you is some of you are old enough to remember transistor radios. Way back in time, there were these really little radios and they would have batteries in them and you would try to dial them in to get a radio station that had a radio tower so you could get the signal from the radio tower. Well, you can think of God communicating grace to us, and all grace comes to us through Mary, mediatrix of all graces, but God is going to communicate infinite grace because he's infinite, But if all you have is a little transistor radio where the batteries are low or it's been dropped on the ground 50 times and kicked around or left out in the sun, what happens when you're trying to tune it in? All you get is static, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That doesn't change the fact that God is communicating infinite grace just because some people are receiving static. God is still giving the infinite grace, but what you receive is based on your disposition. Understand? God is transmitting infinite grace. One holy Eucharist should be enough to change all of us into a saint. Unfortunately, there's some people who received our Lord in the Eucharist for 50 years and it doesn't change their lives. The reason is we have to be disposed. Grace is received based upon the disposition of the receiver. So let's start with us, okay? This is all about our being disposed, so then we can take our Lord to others. First, in the first joyful mystery, Our Lady receives our Lord when she gives her yes, her fiat. But in the second joyful mystery, she takes our Lord to Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John the Baptist to others, and that's what we're supposed to do, okay? But let us be disposed. And the disposition comes through silence and prayer, recollection, interior recollection. It says in Scripture, when, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he came into her house, is an English translation. But where's the house? The interior life, Right? We're taught when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Doesn't mean that all of us should just go to our rooms right now here at the retreat center and that's the only place we can pray inside those rooms. Or does it mean to guard the interior life? The longer I've been a priest, the more convinced I am that the interior life is the gift that Jesus won for us. And the Eucharist is part of that interior life. From that interior life flow a lot of exterior apostolic works, God willing, but most importantly is your interior life. I pray to St. Joseph for five things every day to be faithful to the interior life, faithful to grace, to love Jesus, to love Mary, and to love Joseph. 
he, he's so humble, it's kind of, you know, interesting because it's hard when I say, Joseph, help me love you. You know, he, he likes to always point to Jesus and Mary, but I ask him for that as well. That's just a little side note. These kind of things will, will come out during the conference. I'm just going to share from the heart, hopefully, from the heart to your heart. So Mary was disposed. She prayed. She was praying. She was praying for the coming of the promised one, the Messiah. She just wanted to be the handmaid of whoever was going to be the mother of God. She was so humbled. She just wanted to serve whoever was going to be the mother. Turned out that from all create that 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 God and His infinite love and wisdom chose Mary to be the mother of God. And he did an excellent job, huh? If you're going to trust your child to someone, you're going to be pretty careful about who you entrust your child to, right? Well, God was very careful about who he was going to entrust his son to, right? And Jesus is God. But though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. He was known to be of human estate, and it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting death, even death on a cross. Wow. Mary would have these things in her heart. She had conceived by faith the promised one already. So she's in prayer, and here comes the angel Gabriel to announce the good news. That's what we need to do, announce good news to address the crisis in the world, the church, in marriages, in families, in our communities, in our own lives. The good news that the Lord has risen from the dead, the good news that the Trinity is the true God and God is charity, and that God established a one holy Catholic and apostolic church and seven sacraments and gave us Mary as our mother and the mother of the church, and the holy angels and saints are here to help us, and we're, we're united in communion. We need to have these things in our hearts. So here comes the angel Gabriel to announce the good news. Now I want to have an analogy analogy to the holy sacrifice of the mass the angel gabriel is not a priest jesus christ is the only priest the one eternal high priest a priest forever in the order of melchizedek a priest of the new and eternal covenant the angel gabriel came and announced good news At the beginning of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, after making the sign of the cross, which has so much depth to it, which we begin the rosary with, as a matter of fact, basically you can think of the love of the Father when we touch our forehead came to us when we touch our bosom in the sun, came to us, And he won for us the Holy Spirit so we can love everybody from east to west. Wow. We begin everything and end everything and and do everything in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're told to do things in the name of Jesus. We're doing it in the name of the Father and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. And the cross is the sign by which we have been saved and by the blood and water that flowed from the side of Christ in his pierced heart. We'll get to that in the next conference. Although everything is connected. By that blood and water, we were able to be adopted as children of God in the holy sacrament of baptism. At the beginning of the Mass, we begin with the sign of the cross. And then the priest says, 
who is Jesus, Jesus says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. You know, there's something very important for you to remember that I've learned over time as as well. In the end, some of the most important realities when you stand before God at the end of time, the question is going to be, what did you do with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? How did you grow in the charity of the Father? How were you relating to the communion of the Holy Spirit who brings you that grace and charity? It's all about grace and charity. And that brings me back to our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace and perfected in charity, growing in charity her whole life. This, this is the ultimate thing we want to live in our life, responding to grace and growing in charity. To the degree with which you respond to grace and grow in charity is the degree to which you will be able to be filled with God for all eternity. Now, everybody in heaven will be filled with God, but St. Teresa of Avila says some people will be a thimble and some people will be a bucket. You're both full. But why not at least expand to as as much capacity as possible? Mary, full of grace. Wow. Full of grace. Full of charity. St. Thomas Aquinas says, to the threshold of infinity, that was Mary. The threshold of infinity with the grace and the charity. So the angel Gabriel comes and announces good news. The priest at the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, already is beginning to announce good news. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's great news. You understand? Well, when Mary heard this greeting from the angel Gabriel... In Greek, the word is kyre. It's deeper than hail or even ave. Kyre is the way that you would address someone who's very revered. And yet Mary was so humble... Her response was, the word is fear, but not fear like we normally think of fear, but this great creature, an archangel, Gabriel, is coming to me and announcing revered words, kyre, kyretomene, kyre would be better translated rejoice, rejoice full of grace. The Lord is with you. Wow. When that word rejoice is announced, Mary, because she knew scripture so well, she already knew from the Old Testament all that that meant. Basically, rejoice most of the time was in the context of the Lord will visit his people or the Lord will be among his people. Look at the book of Zephaniah, Zechariah. Rejoice, O daughter Jerusalem, right? Rejoice, O daughter Zion. You have found favor, right? The Lord will be with you. The Lord is going to intervene. Mary, you know, these are amazing words. And so in her humility... She pauses. We should have that same humility after we are greeted by Jesus the priest in the Mass, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So then what do we move into after that greeting by Jesus? The penitential rite. We humble ourselves like Mary 
Now, Mary was conceived without sin, immaculately conceived, never sinned in her life. Immaculate means without stain. It doesn't just mean without sin. Makula in Latin means stain. Mary did everything without stain. Please pray for me. I hope once in my life to do something without stain, without staining it with my own self-will. I want to do it perfect, just out of pure love like Mary, immaculately. Wow. So we humble ourselves at the penitential rite. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. God is a merciful God. St. Luke, today's his feast, really the gospel of mercy. The word in Latin, mercy, misericordia, has at its heart two Latin words, core, which means heart, and we all know what misery means. God, God's heart is moved at the sight of our misery. Bottom line is that we are powerless. Without God, we are nothing and able to do nothing of real value. St. Thomas Aquinas says mercy is to bring something out of nothing. We were created out of nothing. And so God in his mercy created us. And in fact, God willing, at the end of our life, the final act of mercy is God taking us to himself, being with him for all eternity. But God's heart is moved at the sight of our need. But in the Greek, we say, Kyrie eleison, right? Lord, have mercy. Christe eleison, Christ, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. The Greek actually relates more to the Hebrew, and these aren't just, you know, language lessons, but they help you understand things a little bit more deeply. The Kyrie is really, may I see the way you see. May I have that same type of sympathy and compassion and, and, and that comes from the understanding you have, God. May I see myself and others the way that you see. May I have empathy. That's mercy. So we humble ourselves. And if we see the way that God sees we see that we need Jesus, and the answer is the Eucharist, because the Eucharist is Jesus. Okay, let me bring it back to context here. Are you with me so far? Okay, because this is for you. The penitential rite. Mary, the humble handmaid of the Lord, humbles herself, even though she's without sin. We who are sinners are asking for God's mercy and forgiveness. And in that right, venial sins can be forgiven. Venial sins can be forgiven, right? But then, realizing God's presence in, in his mercy, what do we move into on Sundays and feast days, except in certain privileged seasons? such as Advent and Lent, we move into the Gloria, which is really going to tie into the third joyful mystery, the angels singing glory to God in the highest and peace to people of goodwill, right? But we move into the Gloria. And in the Gloria, it's so... I love the five parts where... I love the whole Gloria, but five parts, you know? We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. That's what we'll be doing for all eternity, God willing. May as well start now. Praise and glory. Start now living it. Live a life of adoration now. That's what our whole life should be. Our whole life should be adoration. And we're here to adore the Eucharistic Lord. But the best way to adore the Eucharistic Lord is with all of your being at all times. And you want to live a life of praise and glory of God because that's what heaven will be about. So you don't want to be enrolled in remedial praise and glory 101 when you get to heaven. You want to start now.
But we move into the Gloria. So much is contained there. Praising the Trinity, right? Praise you, bless you, adore you, glorify you, give you thanks for your great glory. So Mary is understanding this now. She's understanding what this announcement is about, that her prayers are being answered. And she's pondering on the word. What happens after the opening prayer of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? We hear the word of God proclaimed to us, right? The word of God is proclaimed to us. Mary was so attentive to the word. Are we attentive to the word? You know, the word of God is such a great gift. I remember speaking to a holy, holy, holy priest who traveled around the world giving retreats, never in the same country for more than a month. And I asked him one time, what does the world need the most? And he really thought about it. And he said the word of God. You know, the 73 books of sacred scripture are inspired and inerrant without error. That is God speaking to us. So at the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, you're hearing God speak to you. And that's in the liturgy of the word. This comes after the Gloria, where we're proclaiming the goodness of the Father. Now remember, the angel Gabriel is a messenger of the good news. And Mary's listening devoutly to the word that the angel Gabriel's bringing in the Annunciation before she consents to it with her whole being. And so, as I referred to, Mary conceived Jesus in faith before conceiving him in her flesh. That's according to St. Augustine. When the text of the scriptures are proclaimed to us in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, let's listen to the voice of the Lord. Now, at the Annunciation, after listening to the word, Mary wants to better understand how the word is going to be fulfilled in her. How can this be since I have no husband? St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 34. How can this be? Not saying prove it to me, but how can this be? You know, that's a good question every moment of your life. How can I glorify God in these circumstances? That's a good question. Everything that happens in your life, how can I glorify God in these circumstances? How can this be? This is the time of the homily in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. The goal of the homily is to make the Word of God applicable applicable to your life, help you have a deeper understanding of the word of God in your life. The hope of the homily is to put you in a deeper dialogue with the word of God who is starting to become incarnate in your hearts, so to speak. That's what should be happening at the homily. You've received the word of God and you're asking Basically, how can I live this? And then Jesus and the deacon or the priest is helping you understand how to live that word of God. Like Mary, how can this be? Well, you're going to listen. How can this be? Are you with me still? Okay. Now, we hear the homily. After that, we profess our faith. We prayed before the commencement of this conference, the Apostles' Creed. I did that intentionally. 
Because if you think of the Apostles' Creed, I mean, you, you go all the way back to what the Father has done, what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit's done, and, and, and are doing. And having that remembrance that fills your heart of the goodness of God, including, I believe, in the action of the Holy Spirit and I believe in a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. There's 12 articles in the Apostles' Creed. They're all amazing. I, I will note, here's another little side note. I find that people sometimes really go through six tremendous gifts and mysteries very rapidly when they get to, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the community of saints, forgiveness, sins, resurrection, body, life, everlasting. You just said six amazing things. Half the creed. <laughs> Let's think about those things. Wow. And then we have our intercessions. Again, you know, we're praying to God to have mercy on us and the whole world. You know, all of these things were in Mary's heart. Mary was contemplating, okay, the angel Gabriel's there. She's in prayer. The angel appears, announces good news. Hail or rejoice, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women and blessed will be the fruit of your womb, Jesus, and the angel Gabriel explains who, who this child will be, the second person of the Trinity, who will take the throne of David that was promised for an everlasting kingdom. I remember studying in Rome at the Angelicum, and professor, priest, professor, shared with us something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, normally when you see angels speaking in Scripture, they're very succinct. They don't say very much, and their presence is very awe-inspiring. <laughs> but when Gabriel got speaking at the Annunciation about who this child was going to be. He went on and on and on for an angel. I mean, he was so excited, you know. The one that's going to be born of you is the one that was promised, you know, of the line of David and his throne will, have, you know, his kingdom will have no end, you know. That's the, you know, the essence of the message. Excited to announce that message. But then Mary says, Again, like I, I pointed to, how can this be since I have no husband? How? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So after we have the offertory of the gifts, the bread and wine and all of our joys, works, prayers, sufferings, and sorrows, we, that's what we offer at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. They're going to be placed on the paten and in the chalice with the bread and wine that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the epiclesis, and the words of consecration of Jesus the priest will be transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus really, truly, and substantially present the Eucharist. Okay? So we have the offertory, which is, I'll save some of that for the Fourth joyful mystery, the presentation in the temple. That's kind of like the offertory. What a great offertory. The fourth joyful mystery, right? But during the Eucharistic prayer, after the prayer over the offerings and the preface, we get to the point where the Holy Spirit comes upon the gifts. Mary asked, how can this be since I have no husband? 
And the angel Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you ask yourself, how can the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ during the consecration, transubstantiation? How can the, bo- the, the bread and wine be transubstantiated? Well, there's two things that are very necessary. There's the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, and the words of consecration by Jesus the priest. The priest is in persona Christi, addressing the Father, and when he makes the epiclesis in one of the Eucharistic prayers, he says, Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them. And remember, the creed asserts by the Holy Spirit Jesus was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, right? But we need both the epiclesis, the Holy Spirit coming upon the gifts, and the consecration, the words of consecration. And and we'll go deeper into the words of consecration during this conference. This is my body, this is my blood, right? That's Jesus speaking. But you need both. You need the Holy Spirit and the consecration. Now, on that point, I want to point out to you that all of you are consecrated in your baptism. And you've received many gifts if you've received the sacrament of confirmation, a deepening of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And with every Eucharist, most Holy Eucharist, you know, you're receiving this life of Christ. But to really live your consecration and, and, and including the deepening of the consecration that takes place in baptism when, for example, a religious takes their religious vows or promises or when somebody's consecrated to Jesus through Mary, for example, according to St. Louis Marie de Montfort, which I urge all of you to do, or according to St. Maximilian Kolbe, Your consecration, to live it, you need the Holy Spirit. You learn that from the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. You need both the Holy Spirit and the consecration. You can't just say, I'm consecrated, and just think that everything just stays static. I'm consecrated in baptism, and, but if I'm not living in the Holy Spirit, my consecration, you know, it, it needs to be made effective. And it depends in your life what situations you're facing, and you have to trust in the Holy Spirit to help you live your baptism, live your consecration. Situations change. And we need to call on the Holy Spirit. So all that takes place at the, in the Eucharistic liturgy, where we're at right now talking about the epiclesis and the consecration. That's the heart of it. Now, Jesus is really, truly, and substantially present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Most Holy Eucharist. It's no longer bread and wine. There's accidental properties there, but the substance is Jesus. A miracle happens right before your eyes. After the great gift of Jesus being made present, Then we have what's called the anamnesis, which means remembrance. Remembrance of the passion of Christ. And we move along, but during the Eucharistic prayer, I don't think many people are aware of a second epiclesis that takes place in the Mass. A second epiclesis, a second coming down of the Holy Spirit. If you notice in the Eucharistic prayers... It says, may we become one by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you hear in the Eucharistic prayer, may we become one, that's another epiclesis, the coming down of the Holy Spirit on us, the church, to make us of one heart, one mind, one body. Powerful. And then we have intercessions, for example, for the faithful departed and those who have died, 
May they die in grace. Then we ask that we may be joined to the the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph and the apostles and the holy saints who have done God's will. And then we go to the great doxology, which through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. That was the way it was said for many years, but through him, with him, in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever is the better translation. That's what we hear, the great doxology, and then we say amen. And John Paul the Great, in his teaching on the Eucharist, the Church of the Eucharist, called Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the Church of the Eucharist, in chapter 6, which is entitled, At the School of Mary, quote, Woman of the Eucharist, points out that the amen we give at the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass at that point, is very parallel to Mary's fiat when she said, May it be done unto me according to thy word. Fiat mihi verbum secundum tuum. May it be done unto me according to thy word. Fiat means let it be so, let it be so. It doesn't mean just yes. Let it be. You know, the, in the beginning of creation, the words of God were fiat lux, let there be light. Let there be fiat lux, let there be light. Now Mary, fiat mihi. Verbum secundum tuum. First she says, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. And that parallels to our amen in the Holy Sacrifice Mass. Then, wow, we're able to come forward if we're in a state of grace and have actual communion with God, actual physical communion with God, actual physical communion, Communion with God, oh, we'll get to that in another conference. But you can think of communion, I'll plant a little seed. Communion is common union. That's a good way to think of it, common union. You have common union with God. What God has, you have union with? Not just what he has, but who he is. You can have union with him? That's the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary, on giving her fiat, then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John Paul II points out in this chapter 6 of Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the Church of the Eucharist, Mary becomes the first tabernacle. And that leads to the second joyful mystery. So, as I said early on in this conference, My goal is to go through the 20 mysteries of the rosary so you can leave this conference understanding Mary as mother of the Eucharist and really have a deep love of the Eucharist, the Eucharistic heart of Jesus, the Eucharistic love of Jesus, the Eucharistic Jesus, and Mary's going to bring you to that. But there goes my alarm, and I'm only through the first joyful mystery. So pray for me, because we have 19 more. (laughs) But we don't have 19 conferences. But this one is laying the foundation. You see, when you lay the foundation, the foundation actually contains the whole. And since we're going to enter into the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in a half hour, I'm hoping that this Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is going to be a little bit different for you a little bit more enhanced after this sharing with you, that you understand more of how our Blessed Mother is going to help you enter into the Mass, including preparing well, and what we should be praying for. The world needs Jesus. That's what Mary was praying for. I don't want to spend my prayer time on saying, take away my backache, Lord. Okay, well, no, Lord, I'll accept the backache. Give me the grace to continue. But Lord, give us Jesus. This world is in crisis. 
We need Jesus. Let's join with the heart of Mary asking for Jesus. And he's here in the Eucharist. May the whole world come to believe. Blessed Mother, help us.